Ag State of Mind, episode 61. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today we wrap up our November series featuring and talking about men's health, men's mental health, and I uh, couldn't think of anyone better to bring to you guys than my friend Brian Mose. Brian is a farmer, rancher, feedlot operator, and an engineer out in South Dakota. He has an incredible story of going to college, coming back, uh, actually, after he went to college, he went and worked uh, for for a company and then came back and used some of his skills that he obtained uh, working off the farm to to back to their operation. And, uh, you know, we talk about the the challenges of coming back into a family operation and then uh, kind of the things that we learn being dads and raising kids on the farm. Um, really cool episode. And, and I, I'm really happy to have Brian here because uh, he he brings a little bit different perspective. And I'm very thankful for that and very thankful that him and I have connected. So, all right, here is my episode with Brian Mose of Mose Feedlot. All right, Brian Mose, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. How are you tonight, friend? Doing good, Jason. Running around. Uh, like crazy trying to get stuff completed before I'm gone for the weekend, but stuff's coming together. So that's always a good feeling. Yeah, man. I, I, I know the struggle of trying to get stuff done before you go somewhere. It like never, it never really happens. You never get it all done, but it, uh, getting as much done as possible is, is, is always, is always good. Yeah. We really, we got, our big harvest stuff is done so if it rains or whatever we can finish bringing bales home from the field and moving some corn around in some bins but we're at a point now where we're kind of at a good spot i got my guys lined up to be here to help cover for when i'm gone here this week weekend and really it's kind of a good feeling but at the same time the guy's always nervous that he's like i gotta be here but at the same time i know i got a team standing behind me finally and we got enough stuff done that it'll make it till I get back home. That's great, man. Well, why don't you tell everybody about yourself, about your farm? You're up in South Dakota. You know, tell everybody about a little bit about what you do, your background, and you know what you're doing there on your farm. Yeah, I live up here in northeastern South Dakota, just outside of Watertown. We work up here. We have a cow calf and a feedlot operation. We got about 300 cows we calve out every year. About 60 of them are first calf heifers, and we cycle through our herd pretty readily to keep our uh, fresh herd going through here. And we also have some 16-year-old cows in our cow-calf herd that'll be coming coming here with their calf this spring that are AI'd, and that's the reason they're staying around. They keep becoming AI'd cows. We also started a feedlot here back in 2010. We really expanded, and we have up to a 2,000-head KFOL concentrated animal feeding operation and we take great pride in keeping our environment healthy. We planted trees around and that conservation mindset that our neighbor had kind of seeded in us and helped us grow 
We also feed out and take great pride in keeping good pen maintenance and taking care of our livestock as well and delivering that good quality beef. I moved back home to a family farm full-time about five years ago. I was a test engineer for Bobcat Company for a few years and learned a lot of good things working for a bigger company and a lot of good training and leadership experience. And now I trying to bring some of that technology and my engineering side back home to the farm to bring us up ahead into kind of that precision beef on the feedlot and trying to be good for the environment and work together with all of our local community functions we have going on to support those. Yeah, I know that you're really, I know for one, we, we talked before we started recording that you were doing some stuff with Farm Bureau, and I know you're uh, really involved on in that, and do you do a number of other things too? Yeah, I moved back home here, and uh, luckily I got boys that are starting to get into 4-H, so I'm starting to get back into 4-H more. We do a lot of stuff with our local church, and through Farm Bureau on the county and the state level, We've been able to do a lot of, host a bunch of tours at our location to show people what we're doing, bridge that gap between rural and urban, and even rural to rural, and just show other farmers, you know, this is our things we're doing, and to be able to communicate with them to make them better, make us better, and it's a win-win when you can work together with your community. And then just locally at the school, supporting our local sports and, and some of the booster clubs and the volunteer fire department when they have events. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of paint a perfect picture of what it's like living rurally and living around and supporting a rural community because it takes people like you who are staples in the community, who um, have kids that go to school there, who have kind of a stake in it all. Uh, That's what takes rural communities keeps them thriving is people is the people the people that prop it up because uh, let's face it industry just isn't flocking to these rural communities and it takes the spirit of people who are there to keep it going well that's right you got to be involved and you have to take the time to be there with your kids i mean we have youth sports and it is the local parents that are there coaching you know, they're, they're doing it because their kids in it and they want everybody to have a good experience. I mean, that, that sports atmosphere, the community with doing different activities through 4-H and the learning experiences we're able to get is because we come together as a community to help educate our children. So I want to talk about your family. You're working with your dad's on the, on the farm too. And then you have your kids. Is that, is that right? Yeah. On the farm, it's, it's my dad, me, and then we have one or two part-time guys and we working on trying to get a full-time guy instead of having a couple after school Lake Area Tech kids. Right. So I want I do want to get into that in a little bit about about the dynamics of that, but you you said a couple of things here that I want to make sure I heard you right. Did you say you have 16-year-old cows that are still in your herd? Yeah, we we have some cows back from uh 2005 would have been when they had their first calf. We know because we freeze brand everything to keep track of numbers. And we have some 500 number cows, which would have been 2005. They'll be coming with 16 year olds here, here with their 15th calf. And we keep those close to home so that they're close with our replacement heifers. So they get, start getting fed a little sooner. We have the mixer, so we got a TMR we can give them, but they've been out on corn stalks now for a month and a half and they've been doing well on that. That's incredible. 16 year old. So for, 
anybody who may be cow illiterate and not understand the life cycle of a cow we we start calling a cow old when they're when they're around nine years old nine to ten years old so to have 16 year old cows who are still producing on time for i mean the last several years which they would have considered unquote old doesn't sound i mean it sounds like you've got some pretty good genetics going with them yeah, and we've really structured it where we really stress these cows initially where if they aren't bred in the first two heat cycles, they don't stay in the herd. They'll go down to someone else's farm as a later calver or they'll go down the road as an open cow and we feed them out to make good quality beef. And we we had a couple of them cows this summer and the steaks off of them have been phenomenal as we fed them out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a really interesting business model, and I mean, we we're not here to talk as much about that, but I th- I think it, it's worth spending time on that. Is you know, you're doing things that are going to turn a profit for you. You're going to do you're doing things that you're keeping cows in your herd that are going to work for you, and then the ones that aren't going to work for you as hard, you're going to either you're going to feed them out or you're going to ship them down the road. And that's a really key to staying in business in the cattle industry. And if we really break it down, that's a really key thing to keep yourself sane and happy and still thriving is to have a, have a strict plan like that where there's no free rides. Well, and that's it. They have to work for us. And by having the ones that stick around that get bred every year, it's easier because everybody calves in a tighter window and we we calve pretty early up here february march most of the herd and for our sanity we do that before we get out in the field because we have to get manure out and get fields tilled up and we have somebody come in and custom plant for us because we're not able to handle all that workload with our time frame so we calve early and that's why the cows go down the road if they aren't calving on time every year sure sure yeah and I've said this a lot. I've said this a lot. So with my dad, we growing up, we didn't have a calving season. We calved year round. We calved, we were just as likely to have calves in January as we were in August. I mean, it was just, he left bulls in year round. It was just, it it just worked for him. But I found that as I was making changes to myself, that I needed to tighten that calving window because I wasn't going to be around as much as maybe my dad would be because, you know, I have a, I have a job in town. I have four young kids that are running around and now that they're getting even older, they're getting into sports and such. I mean, so to concentrate that and bring it down into a certain amount of time before you have to do other things, uh, it makes it a lot easier easier to focus your attention on that one certain thing it sounds like for you it's you know getting it done early in the year before you get in the fields and start planning and then later on harvest and field work and everything else and i mean that makes a huge difference to be able to uh concentrate your workload yeah and that's really the main reason is especially during the winter time that's when we have more time that we can focus on the cows calving and we, we have the facilities now since 2010 to be able to do it. I mean, if we didn't have the barns we had now, I wouldn't want to do it because there's too much snow and too much fight there up here in South Dakota. But we structured everything so it fit as best it could. And 
it does still kind of leg into the start of field work and the start of getting our barns cleaned out, hauling manure, but we're mostly on the downhill slide. And that's the biggest thing to be able to have the manpower and, and, and work them out of the herd if they aren't going to work out for you. So you have that sanity to know, okay, I'm done calving. I can focus on the next thing. Cause if a guy gets too spread out, then he doesn't know which direction to turn and he don't want to get too far away from home with cows calving. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you said that. We talked we, the very end of the episode, we touched on this with Matt Nicewander last week and being able to concentrate your efforts at any given time is, is the key to doing like you're doing. You're, you're much like Matt and myself, and we're doing so many things. You talked about being on the farm full time, but you're also a father and a husband, and you're also involved in a numerous amount of different organizations. But all of that deserves your full attention at, at, a, at a certain time. So it, I think it's really, really key that we talk about, we talked about that in kind of knowing when to give everything the appropriate attention. And it sounds like you're doing that. Yeah, I, I still struggle with giving the appropriate attention. And there's times where you're kind of doing a couple things. But with where I am, we're fortunate enough to have good internet. So I got a good internet on my phone that I can upload stuff. We have really leaned into the technology side to feed the cattle. And that's made a lot of extra time for me that I don't have to spend time the end of the month entering spreadsheets and uh, just the extra time by using the technology we have and leveraging our team, whether it's our vet or our nutritionist or our local guys that custom plant for us. So we can take that burden off our shoulders that we just have to have the seed ready or just have to have the cattle brought up so they can come help us breed or to plant our seed to specialize in what we're good at. And we really specialized in raising beef on the feedlot and calving out our own cows with our genetics. Yeah. So what was your, you talked about being an engineer. You said you were a test engineer for cat. Is that right? Or for Bobcat. Bobcat, Bobcat, Bobcat. Sorry. But so what, what made you decide to want to come back home? I always, when I went off to college, my question to my dad was, and we've worked on this through the years is okay. I go to be in it engineer, which I, I love my math and my science. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to be an engineer for a while because to get back into the engineering field with no experience, it's going to be an uphill road. So I told him, you know, I, I'm going to need a couple of years of engineering before I come back to the home farm to be able to use that as my backup plan, my fallback plan, and hopefully I can learn something there to bring back. And there was a lot of talks I had the opportunity to move down to Arizona with my wife and my one boy at the time to be the test engineer at their proving grounds down there. And you know, that was a big shocker where me and my wife had to learn to lean on each other. We were, you know, totally separated from any known family at that point in time. And to be able to build our relationship has really helped since we come back to the farm now, because that was a, a couple of year commitment. Now that we're back at the farm, I, have really enjoyed being able to have that commitment with my wife and have that rock solid connection with her that we can always lean on each other and work through it. We're, if, if we have any issues, we're able to work through and talk through it because we're our best friends. We we're our shoulder to lean on in our time of need. And then when it's the other's time of need, we're there helping them. And with that opportunity, it really stretched me and made me learn a lot of different things 
being on my own and that you have to make friends, reach out to people and talk to them. And people are willing to help if you ask. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that's a big thing that we uh, kind of forget sometimes because we are so, I hate to use the word, but so stubborn and so independent in in our own way, especially guys, especially men. We just, we feel, we <laughs> feel like if we, we reach out and ask somebody to help that we are, uh, there's something wrong with us because we can't do it all. But I mean, in reality, that's really how so many people have thrived is, I mean, obviously they put in the hard work. You do the things that you have to do to maximize your own potential. But there's so many people who are willing to help out and the people who really do well and really thrive in this world are the people who are accepting of the help that is offered to them. Yeah, you you have to step back and realize that there comes a point where, yes, I can do everything on this farm, but should I? Yes, I can do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I know that you, obviously, we we connected, I believe, kind of through a mutual friend of of Clay Connery. And he uh he is often he's spoken to dave pratt a number of times and dave was on our podcast uh, a long time ago and he he kind he he talks about these fifteen dollar an hour jobs versus hundred dollar an hour jobs and you need to spend the time when you're a farmer uh, when you're in agriculture, you have to spend time on the jobs that are hundred dollar an hour jobs and giving the and sourcing the fifteen dollar an hour jobs out. I mean, for me, one of those fifteen hour dollar an hour jobs is fixing fence. I mean, sometimes I don't even mind it, but should I really be spending? eight hours on a Saturday fixing fence when I could do something that I could bring a lot more value to. And I could find someone who is going to do probably a better job than I would do. And it would give them value. You know what I mean? I think we're talking about the same thing here. And uh, there, there are, there are so many tasks that we can put ourselves through and, and do, but we'll wear ourselves out and we'll never be able to get everything done. So that's when you have to look at, well, what, what tasks matter to me that I need to do the most? Well, that's right. And I think to expand on that is uh, you may even be better at doing the task than the person you hire. But if you're not taking sure. care of that $100 an hour task, you're just spinning your wheels going backwards on the other tasks. You have to balance that. And we try and surround ourselves with specialists, like I said earlier, that are in that field that can catch the simple mistakes that we may know about, but we're so focused on everything else that we're not paying close enough attention. Yeah, you know, you're, you're exactly right. And that's, yeah, there's probably, I mean, you're probably right. It's probably hard to find someone who actually would do something better than you, but you're right. You, is that something that you want to spend the time focusing on? And I think it comes back to just really getting to know yourself and be being really self-aware of what's the things that matter the most to you. And you can kind of cut through the fat on a lot of this, a lot of the things on your operation and, and utilize your time as well as possible. Yeah and leverage out what you can and and find that teammate that you can train in to do these other tasks that they may be better at you after you get them trained but 
you have to have to take the time sure. to reach out and make sure you're getting the right people in there. So I want to talk about you and obviously you came back home and you wanted to do, you wanted it to be right and you wanted to do things the way it was going to work out best for you and your wife, um, which is by the way, is the only way to do it. You should only do things that is going to be most beneficial to, to the people who are going to be closest to you, to the people who are going to depend on you the most. And at the time you just had the one child and you, you did, you did the right thing there. Um, but then you decided to come back and work with family. What is that dynamic like? What is it like to work to farm full time with family like that? I'm not going to lie. It, you know, it's stressful because you have all this back history from when you were born that you're, parents, your siblings, or, you know, your cousins, when you work with all of them, you know, that's in the back of their head. And, you know, they already know how you are. And maybe they haven't been with you for a few years. So you're different, or you're trying to relearn, you know, okay, when I left, we were only had about 500 head in the feedlot when I was back home full time. And when I was gone three years, we really expanded the operation just before I left. And so that was a big dynamic change to reach that hurdle of, okay, all these tasks need done. We need to balance it. So the important things get done and we're still getting a hundred dollar an hour jobs taken care of. And it really has been stressful, just some past history working with family and, you know, everybody has their stories of the other person. And I was fortunate enough to take some training that the majority of people look back and they'll kind of tell themselves a story of how stuff happened and they'll fill in the blanks with, past knowledge or kind of what they think they understand and they could be writing a totally wrong story when if they go back and actually look at it they say they can say well no it wasn't that bad it's just I was upset at the time so I took everything that was negative and remembered it and didn't remember any of the positive and I really struggle looking back and I feel in the last five years I've really moved forward in the relationship with my dad and and working with him that we we're both at an understanding, you know, we don't always agree a hundred percent of the time. We still have our fights, but we get over it. We work through it for what's best for the farm and what's best for our families. So we can both have a professional and a father son relationship. Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a real, I'm, I was about to say something else, but then you, you hit that at the end there. And I think that's really important for people to understand is the difference in having in, in in separating those two relationships, a professional relationship where you guys are working together as farmers, as trying to, as, as business partners, but also having that boundary there where you can still, if maybe if things are, are a little rough on, on the farm, on, in the feedlot, um, but still being able to maintain that father son relationship, that's much easier said than done. Um, and I'm sure it's probably still, you, you sometimes probably struggle to maintain those boundaries, but the fact that you know that those boundaries are important is half of the battle, I feel like, or maybe more so. Well, that's right. You have to first understand, you know, uh, there's a lot of stressors with a, a bigger operation, even smaller operations, and there's a lot of dollars involved. And one little thing that doesn't get paid attention to can make a big difference. And to, to learn that we're both in this together working to make it better. If something bad happened that wasn't either of our intentions, 
but we need to work through it now and not dwell on the fact that it happened. And we've really grown in that on our feedlot to the fact where, okay, it happened. It shouldn't have happened, but it happened. Let's move forward. What do we have to do to fix it? Instead of spending time dwelling on it, we're going to spend time fixing it. Yeah, yeah, that's and I think that's a, a lot of grudges that can be held. But if you move forward and you look for solutions, um, you can just you can move past those things really quick and not dwell on the mistake that was made, but but deal in solutions. And I think that's a that's a big part. And that's a big thing that can be done to address a lot of problems that we have in agriculture is, you know, there's there's a lot of times people just want to play the blame game with stuff. But um, if we just set that stuff aside for a little bit and, and work on solutions, uh, that's, that's going to be way more productive. Well, and that's right. And we deal with that with our hired help. Uh, we get people that are here part-time for two, three hours at night, or maybe more if they're able and willing to have the time and to train them in. And I've really had to catch myself here the last couple of years from getting mad at somebody when I haven't showed them how to properly do something. So, so they don't wreck something or get themselves in a predicament where they could wreck something and sit back and go, okay, I didn't train you. I expected too much of you without any coaching or training and, and to ask questions first instead of blaming first. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. It's a great point because I think we do get in these rushes and I don't have, I mean, I have hired hands every once in a while, one person regularly, but for, to me that that person is often my oldest son and understanding me as like, why do you not understand this? Why does, uh, does this not click with you? And it, it probably comes back to, well, it's probably because I didn't show him right, or I hadn't showed him at all. I just expected something of him. And, um, I think we can, we get a, we get out ahead of ourselves a lot of times and, um, we have to be, we're going to talk, I want to talk to you a little bit about this as we move forward too. Um, but we have to kind of watch what we expect of people before it's probably time that they perform at that level. And, and that's right. You, you have to make sure they have the ability and capability and keep working on building that up. And you got to know what to expect out of each person and everybody's going to be different. We've had people that say they have experience, people that say they haven't. And, and a lot of times the ones that haven't had experience, sometimes you can train right up. And the ones that have had experience, you got to take away some of the bad habits they've learned that can put them in a tight situation where they could run into a fence or or bend something, you know, that they let cattle out the wrong gate because they're used to doing it that way. And to try and train and work with them the, and give them credit where credit's due. So you build up that relationship. So they do have the buy-in when you say, say the stern stuff that, Hey, you did this wrong. You need to tell me, be honest, tell the truth. Cause I'm going to find out one way or another. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather you tell me the truth than lie to me because if you lie to me, I'm going to start going down the wrong path to try and fix how you operate like our spreader per se. If you're operating it wrong and turning the hydraulic speed up or PTO off too soon and plugging it, well, do I need to look at the operator? Or do I need to look at the piece of equipment? And it happens. It'll get plugged from time to time and we'll deal with that. But don't lie to me and say you did everything right. And then I'm scratching my head to try and figure out why five right. months later. Right, right, yeah. So I, 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 I am interested in this too. In that, when you come back, 
I feel like you probably bring a lot of new ideas to the table and you specifically coming back and you, you worked for a different company, you worked as an engineer, but then you came back and you, I, I, I'm sure you probably had new ideas and new things you want to try to integrate. And, and what is that? I mean, what, what can that dynamic look like whenever you're trying to instill new ideas into a, an ongoing operation like you guys have? Yeah. And that, that was a big difficulty when I came back because when I worked for Bobcat, we were doing a lot of cutting edge technology stuff to control e equipment and to come back where we have the capability and had had it back. And when we expanded in 2010 and, and 2014, we still weren't using uh, EID takes because when you run cattle through, we're really watching their weights, but everything was pen and paper and handwritten data. And it, was kind of turning into, yeah, we had all the data, data silo, we had a total average weight, but we didn't have individual tracking data to watch this calf as he goes through. We do an implant strategy, so every 110, 120 days, we'd get a weight on each individual calf. And when I came back, I really pushed hard to try and use our technology we already had on, on hand. We had a wand and a, a scale head, and I got real big pushback to do that until finally I just said, you know what, we'll do both and to get the buy-in and build that up. And at that time, I was still fresh, new back to the farm. And, and I, I saw a way that it could be easier and faster when we got done working cattle. But in, in my dad's mind, it wasn't as accurate because it hadn't been proven yet, just like all these new technologies. And to get that buy-in slowly over time, we've integrated more and more technology to make it easier for us on the back end to the point now when we're done working a group of cattle, all our costs are recorded and in there when we finish that last calf from before we'd have to spend hours afterwards, all paper copies to figure out how many heads, how many bottles of medicine we used. That's all tracked as we treat and run each calf through. So, I mean, you obviously believed in it. You obviously saw the, saw how beneficial technology can be with your time with Bobcat and you wanted to bring that home, but obviously there was resistance felt. And I think we can all relate to that. And, you know, we do things, we have these own ideas, we have these things that we want to, we think are going to change the way and take us to the next level but we have that kind of tradition to fight against and i think that's probably one of the number one i shouldn't say number that's not really a, a great way to say that uh, that I, I i believe it's probably the number one problem in generational farms and ranches is uh, someone brings new technology or new ideas to the table and it's met with resistance because it's not proven and it's not the way we've always done things. And it's really hard to adapt to change. Well, you hit it on the head. It's the way we've always done it. It's, it's proven. And to try and change something different when you get this routine, and that's the biggest thing is get your routines, get your patterns down. So if you're doing a task, you can put someone else on that and you know, okay, they got an hour left because they're doing it the same way I do it. So I know how long they got left. If, if I get done early, I can go help them. Or I know if they have to leave or go fix fence or, you know, you get cows out. 
you know where they were at in that process and trying to have processes down and standard operating procedures so everybody can be on the same page and can jump in to help everywhere be cross-trained and we're really working towards that even with all of our new people and uh, you know once you've done it for five years together with my dad we read each other's minds we know what needs done next we just go do it and to step back and think well everybody isn't at that same level they haven't worked hand in hand for five years you know 15 16 hour days to get that connection yeah 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 no it's it's a that's a big deal it's a big deal to 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 gain that trust and gain that kind of almost sixth sense once you start working with someone for so long. Um, and I feel like you take it for granted um, until it's not there, until you ha don't, ha until you're working with someone who doesn't have that. And um, that's a, that's a really hard thing to, to build up that trust and build up that kind of knowing what the other person is thinking or doing. And it, it makes you want to obtain that with everyone you work with. Absolutely. That's, that's the biggest thing. And, and knowing where their level is in that and, and knowing what to expect and not over expecting or over anticipating and make sure your workload for the day fits the day and plan for something to change because it always does. Yeah, absolutely. It always does. It always, it's, it's never going to go to plan. I, I can promise you that. I mean, if it, it's, it's way more the exception than the rule than if things actually do go to plan. Yeah. I mean, you, you never know when you're going to have a breakdown or have something extra to do, but you got to be flexible enough. But at the same time, you know, every day on my feed lot here, I'm going to feed cows every morning, feed the calves every morning. That has to be done. So whatever I need to do to make that happen is, is a top priority. Yeah. So I heard you speak, you've been on a couple of podcasts, two of my favorite podcasts, two podcasts that you and I both listened to. And that was working cows podcast and Vance pro podcast. And you said something that really piqued my interest on Vance's podcast. And that was talking about working with your kids and having your kids be active participants in the farm and trusting them almost you know treating them like adults uh, as soon as you can as soon as you feel comfortable and i think that can people either have two either one way or another they feel about that and i think you and i are in agreement but i know that not everybody is and it's that you try to treat them as adults as soon as possible or maybe sooner than a lot of people feel comfortable in order to help them make mistakes and learn from them as early as possible. Yeah. And that's, I struggle with that. I know when I was a kid, we had a 90 horsepower tractor and 140, 150 horsepower tractor. And now we're talking 270 horsepower is our biggest one. And our average tractor is 140, 150. And I, I struggle with letting them get in something that, that, that is that big. And like I, said in the other podcast, you know, the tires are as tall or taller than me. And here you got a little, you know, seven-year-old or a nine-year-old driving a tractor across the yard with equipment, you know, all it takes is one wrong turn for them to run into something, but also building up their trust, you know, letting them drive with you before they go by themselves and doing that hand-on-hand -hand learning and let them know, hey, if you aren't feeling safe, just stop. This is how you stop. You put it in neutral. Don't get out unless it's in park. And really building up that and, and challenging them because if you don't challenge 
challenge them and just give them everything is just like, you know, the signs at the state parks that say, don't feed the wildlife, they'll become dependent. Well, you don't want to hand feed everything to your children either. You got to challenge them and make them work hard and learn so they can go out and develop a future for themselves. Yeah. And I, I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand. I mean, even not even if for them to understand, I think people even actually know that. I think almost everyone absolutely knows that the problem is people actually letting them have some control or let or get taking the control away from the parent and giving it to the child is, is really hard for a lot of people. And especially, I mean, we're talking about just people who don't live on farms and don't run 200 horsepower tractors, um, let alone putting that kind of responsibility in their hands. So um, I think everybody knows that they need to let their children and their 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 kids do these things, um, but but actually letting them do it is another matter. Yeah, and I struggle to let my children fail, but I've seen time and time again when they fail, that's when the lesson hits home the hardest. You know, they love driving my UTV around and they, they'll pick up rock or sticks or whatever and move them for me. And there's been times before where, you know, they've dumped the rock out because they were going too fast or something. And well, guess what? It's a good lesson to learn when you take off too fast because it's fun and you got to pick up half a UTV bed full of rocks you just picked in the field. Let's not do that next time. So that kind of, it always, I always use this and I kind of reminded me of at the fair, we were at the county fair one time and one of my kids ran behind a steer. Uh, he obviously knew better because we've <laughs> been around him all the time and uh, steer kind of did one of those cow kicks out the side. I, I don't think it got him. It didn't get him, but it spooked him. Um, and he like, he, he looked at me, knew he messed up. And uh, a friend of mine was standing next to me. I said, I always want him to get kicked. Not hard enough for him to actually get hurt, but hard enough for him to learn a lesson. <laughs> and yep, <laughs> and that I mean that that's I mean that's I think that's it's good for kids to mess up. It's good for kids to uh, see that they have failed in some capacity, but also it's important to as as fathers to use those failures as lessons and not as uh, a chance to chastise your child. And I mean, I fail at this. I, 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 I'm, I, I probably get it wrong more than I get it right, but um, I think it's important for kids to, to learn how to fail. And uh, another example, and this is from my dad and myself, this is a kind of a, uh, it's one of my like most like vivid memories and I was, uh, I can't tell you how old I was, but I'm guessing somewhere in the 10 to 12 years old ra uh, range, I was supposed to uh, lock my dogs up one day at a certain time. I don't remember what was going on, if I was leaving, what, I, I don't know, but we had a flock of sheep, uh, just a small flock, I think like 15 ewes or something like that. Well, I didn't lock the dogs up. I just left the dogs around. We had border collies and they got out and they chased all the sheep and killed all the sheep but one and i remember walking out to that pasture uh, it was just a small it wasn't even a pasture it was just a small lot on the back side of our house and seeing 
that entire flock of sheep dead. And, and I just was just mortified just, just because I knew that I was in a way partially responsible for that. Um, and my dad and I, I remember this lesson my dad giving me and he said, I could punish you. I could give you a spanking. I could do whatever to, to punish you even further. But he said, I know that whatever I would do to you would not be as powerful and as meaningful as it was for you to see all those dead sheep. And that's been like a lesson that has stuck with me to this day and how children can learn from their mistakes and learning from them and seeing the, uh, seeing the consequences firsthand is much more powerful than seeing, uh, than being punished. Well, and that's right. And that's such a hard lesson, especially seeing something you've worked with so hard just disappear overnight. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that was incredibly difficult for my dad and I'm sure it was really hard for him not to be mad at me. And I'm sure he was mad at me, but he saw it as an, instead of an opportunity to just show me a lesson, teach me a lesson and show me the value of what happens whenever you don't do what you were supposed to do. And I mean, not, it doesn't always have that, that dire of consequences, but it certainly can. Yeah. And that's with my kids, that's, they have a bunny rabbit and you know, it's not much, but it's something that daily they have to take care of. And I will double check, you know, it's got food and water, especially now that it's getting colder out and it might need some extra care, but I rely on them to make sure they're taking care of it. And they've been doing a pretty good job this summer. We had some bottle calves that they needed uh, extra feed. And that's what my boys did this summer is they would go get a tub of feed from a pen we were feeding. So I didn't have to drive halfway across the bumpy yard to feed the one cow. And we had one milk cow with a bunch of bottle calves. And that was their responsibility every morning and every night to get a tub of feed, fill up a tub of feed with, you know, 50, 60 pounds of feed twice a day to feed them calves and that cow. And by golly, if they weren't out there right away every morning and every night and they enjoyed it. And I hate to say it, but I almost had to take it away from them to discipline them if they were being naughty and because they enjoyed it so much. But, you know, <laughs> that brings joy to me to sh see how much they enjoy its work, but they're seeing value in what they're doing, that they're feeding this cow, these calves, keeping them healthy. And it's a joy to see that I'm passing that on to my children. Yeah, no, 100% it is. And I think that's the most valuable thing you can you can do when you're talking about raising kids on a farm is um, you can you can the, just the lessons are just they just almost make themselves and when they perform one of those and when they they one of those lessons really sticks I mean it really makes you feel good as a father and it it, it helps you to almost be justified in, in what you're doing yeah it's those little moments that you're able to see this spark of light and enthusiasm and my hope is you know I, I have five boys anywhere from nine to three months nine years old to three months and my my hope is at least a couple of them want to come back full-time to the farm and mm -hmm. if if they all don't I understand I I've seen the other things that are possible and and you know it's it's hard to run if I have all five of them come back to have enough work for all of them where we currently are
Yeah, you know, it's a good point. You make a good point because I that's something I struggle with myself. Not struggle with, but I, it's I, it's something I think about. And uh, knowing as it stands right now, I see two of them coming back in some form and two of them probably not. Now that may change in 10 years. Um, I don't know. Uh, but we... First of all, it helps me to know that I need to try my hardest. I need to do my best job to make this operation sustainable and able to be passed on to some, have something even worth passing on to someone else. But it also kind of helps me to know what lessons to teach them, how much to involve them and what to expose them to. And it really helps you get down the road. It really helps you think in the long term when you uh, have, when you have the possibility that this is going to be something that is passed down to, to kids and grandkids and beyond that. Yeah. And that's, I don't really hide anything from my kids. I mean, they see all aspects, the, the good times, the busy times, the times we struggle, that we argue and fight. I mean, you know, death is a thing that happens on a farm. And oh my gosh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> my, my two-year-old, you know, he understands that it happens. And there's a lot of people that haven't been exposed to that. And, you know, that is a mental stress. I won't disagree, but they have to know the cycle of life. And we're doing everything in our power to keep everybody healthy and happy until they produce a good product for us. And with them having the buy-in, they understand that, okay, it is important we take care of this and that stewardship. Yeah, and you, you bring, a, bring a really good point up about the, about the circle of life and about understanding death and life from a totally different standpoint when you get to experience it firsthand, especially at such a young age. You know, my kids death is something that's just, it's just something, and again, it's animals and not humans, but when it happens, I mean, it's something that they know that is a possibility, and they understand that it happens, and um, they have had to deal with it. I mean, we've probably lost more bucket calves than we've saved. I mean, so, I mean, it's just, it's just a part of it, and it, it, it teaches them resilience. It teaches them to be emotionally tough and emotionally strong, um, but also that it's okay to be upset when things happen. But the feeling of sadness, the feeling of being upset will pass. And they learn that early on. Yeah, that's like, you know, my two oldest, when they're out there, there's every once in a while in each pen of cattle, there's one or two calves that'll come up and find you on the bunk that, you know, they want to be pet right now. It's, you know, we got a calf with ear tag number 182 and he'll come find you out. And my two oldest boys they at least every weekend want to at least go out and find him and you know he'll come up to the bunk to him and they'll pet him and you know they have a relationship there and they understand you know he he's going to go to make beef in somebody's freezer and mm -hmm. feed them and sustain them but we're going to care for him and you know spend that little extra attention petting him on the head when he comes up to say hi yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's not a, it's not a all the way or one, uh, or one side or the other. You can appreciate the, the being that is with this calf, with these steers, uh, with these animals that you're feeding. You can, you can see that they, 
you can appreciate them. You can, you can, like you said, your kids are petting them. They'll come up, but you can also understand that they're going to go serve a higher purpose. They're going to go feed someone's family. And, in a in a in a society that has become so removed from how their food is produced even if they don't come back to the farm even if they don't have something of their own where they're involved in agriculture one day they at least know that and they at least will have that appreciation of what it's like to to what all the things that go into making this food system work yeah, and, and to find that balance where where you're taking care of everything, you know, that's our big thing is we want to be safe to the environment. We want to keep everything local. We support our local food banks and a bunch of other organizations we're in. We're able to help donate back to serve the people in our community that need the extra help. Yeah, and that's great. That's awesome. And to know that uh, you can do that, you can serve that community and serve you know, this is kind of bringing it full circle here. You can serve others through what you do with, with what you do on the day to day is incredibly powerful and a lesson that they're going to keep in the back of their minds for the rest of their lives. Well, Brian, I, I really appreciate your time here tonight. You know, I know you're a busy man. Like we talked about, you've got a lot of things going. <laughs> so I I really appreciate you taking the time to talk on this podcast. And I appreciate your support of this podcast and always listening and always giving me feedback. And uh, it, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you tonight. Yeah, I really appreciate, uh, you know, honored to be even asked to be on your podcast you have a great reach in our community of agriculture and I know you even reach into some of the people that are a little more removed that aren't directly in agriculture and you're getting a good word out there to reach out and talk to other people and you know this mental aspect we have to reach out and be strong for others and especially in this time of COVID we aren't out and about seeing everybody so to be there to reach out make the phone call to your friend you know from college and see how they've been or high school and keep track of people and, and just keep reaching out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, I always preach that. I always tell people like, I mean, if there's someone you're thinking about, if there's someone on that's on your mind in some form or another, and you maybe haven't heard from them in a while, maybe that's your prompt. Maybe that's something telling you that they need you at this moment in time. And don't ignore that because I don't feel like there's any such thing as coincidence. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brian. Well, thanks again for the time tonight. Been great pleasure chatting with you. And I hope we do it again someday because I, I, I really enjoy your perspective. That would be great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.